1: Episode 84, The Paradox.
0: Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, Patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting
2: room.
1: Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is a repeat guest, Dr. Michelle Akkad from the Akkad and Coker Report. Dr. Akkad is a cardiologist in San Francisco who provides some great insights and also a new perspective on the virus as it's progressing in the United States, since he's out on the West Coast and I'm in the Midwest. We'll discuss coronavirus, the response from the federal government and how it's been bungled in many ways, how people are going to respond differently to this, and some other issues that relate to it, both financial issues with physicians, but also sort of philosophically what the best way to respond to pandemics might be, because... The U.S. response, I think most people would agree, has not been ideal, and it could certainly have been much better. If you've not yet subscribed to The Paradox, I really don't know what's holding you back. Please go and subscribe on your podcast player right now. Also, while you're there, drop a five-star review and leave a written response of what you think of the show. And of course, continue recommending to your friends. That's what helps the show grow, and I appreciate that support. Also, if you want to further financially support the show, you can go to patreon at patreon.com theparadox the paradox that's p-r-a-d-o-c-s and there you can provide some additional funds monthly on a pledge you will get bonus access to other episodes i do both with the Amash files and the opportunity to be interviewed by me you can get all that ex- extra access by going to patreon.com slash the paradox as always you can find show notes to the show at theparadoxcom paradox.com zero eighty four There will be links to Dr. Akkad, his show, his Twitter handle, and one of the articles he references from former director Scott Gottlieb, now with the American Enterprise Institute. But without further ado, Dr. Michelle Akkad and the bungling of the COVID crisis by the federal government, enjoy. Welcome. I'm here with my friend, Dr. Michelle Akkad, the former star of episode 11 of The Paradox. He's a cardiologist at Athletic Heart in San Francisco Direct Primary Care practice, which is fairly unusual for cardiology. He's also the author of Moving Mountains and the co-host of the fantastic medical uh, blog, or excuse me, podcast, which I highly recommend, called the Akkad and Coca Report. So Dr. Akkad, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And uh, again, you're in Northern California, San Francisco. I'm here in West Michigan. We're recording this, what is it, March 29th now? I'm trying to, it's so hard for me, March 30th. Yeah, it's hard for me to keep track when I'm not in the hospital every day, which is very unusual for me because usually I have a very good feel for what the exact day is from all the documents I have to sign. Uh, so because I do mostly elective work, I'm now idle a lot. And so it's very unusual for me. Uh, so anyway, so I don't tend to know. I mean, I should be working today and I'm not. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me because I think it'd be interesting getting a, a different perspectives here on what's going on with the coronavirus. I think that's top of mind of everyone. You know, you can't you can't avoid the topic anywhere you look of course uh, there's yeah. no sports there's no diversions right outside of you. if you want if you're interested in economics or politics guess what they're only talking about coronavirus too mm-hmm.
2: yeah really it's um i mean it's it's understandable i mean it, it's such a um, you know such a threat you know an immediate threat uh, i mean it's more than a threat i mean for most i mean it it has affected uh, all of us um For a variety of reasons, Uh, even in in, in places that are not um, affected uh, epidemiologically, you know everybody's you know everybody's life has changed and and probably will will stay changed uh, for a long time and and perhaps you know perhaps forever.
1: Yeah, I think you know anytime you have these large scale events that happen in the country, I mean you could say 9 nine eleven had long lasting effects, although it probably didn't personally impact most people. The um, political economic and even the well there are other consequences that that sort of the way we you know travel the way we move around through airports or whatever all those things affect us later on and so I think any sort of pandemic like this that's really the first one to hit this United States within anyone's memory um, at the, to a significant level is going to affect how Americans respond to and sort of act and behave here going forward what you know to start to start the conversation I guess uh, let's just look at what's going on in Northern California right now. I think, just speaking per- briefly, we just ahead of time before we came on the air, we sort of talked a little bit about what's going on locally. But uh, in Michigan, where I am in the west side of the state, it's not real busy. There are cases, and our hospital is filling up slowly, but it's not that bad. We had emptied the, ho- the hospital. The east side of the state, which is where the Detroit area, the large urban area in the, in the state, is getting you know flooded with patients it's always hard for me to get a feel for how bad it is but um i don't know if it's as bad as in new york what is it like in northern california where you are
2: yeah it's um it, it, it's actually not so bad uh we haven't seen a huge surge um certainly not in san francisco i mean in in the san francisco bay area i think the hot spot is uh, santa clara county um which is where san jose is about you know 70 miles or south of uh, of here or so. Um and uh but even there it's not terrible. I mean I think so, so far it's been manageable. Um San Francisco to, today had just you know um I think 24 uh, added new confirmed cases compared to yesterday. Uh I think the total is about 350 or so, maybe a little bit more. Um not that many deaths um, so far. So, and, and the hospitals are are doing okay. Uh, I'm getting you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm on ma- mailing lists from uh, all the major hospital <laughs> systems uh, around here, and so far they seem to be doing okay. Um, and probably, I mean, I think you know it, it seems to be that that uh, probably the credit goes to the the uh, rapid uh, uh, measures that were implemented. You know the lockdown. Uh, or the shelter-in-place, because I think San Francisco was the first uh, community to to adopt that, and then very quickly other counties in in the area, and then subsequently the the state itself.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, because uh, you look at California, it seemed to be even, I feel like it even reacted faster than Washington. And Washington is the one where I think the initial cases, I I feel like that's where the first sort of hot spot was in the United States, where those... um, those elderly patients in the nursing home without that, you know, Right, it feels like right. Washington like, state. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. indeed. They, they were hit first. So I'm not sure exactly what, uh, what measure the measures they took. Uh, I think you may be correct that they didn't take uh, as drastic, uh, um, uh, a measure as the uh, shelter in place that was implemented here f- at the time. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, uh, they seem to be doing okay also. Um, at least for now, uh, you know on my, on my podcast we had uh, we interviewed an intensivist um from Washington just a few days ago um they're doing okay now he expects uh there will be a, a second wave uh he expects they'll be able to handle it but he expects that their numbers will continue to increase and and, and get worse and they may get to a, to a point where they, where they you know they they hit uh, crunch time so to speak but yeah. um but they're they're not doing too bad
1: yeah it's um well, let's talk about the, the response of the federal government. I think, you know, when we, our country is unusual in the sense that we have kind of 50 mini countries, uh, which, you know, the federalist system. And so right. all they, they all respond differently. It's far more federalized or nationalized than it used to be. Obviously, as every day goes on, the federal government gets bigger and more powerful, uh, but they still have a lot of control locally, much more so than the federal government does on some level. And so the president can make a decree, and really the, the governors can choose to do it or not do it you know, to varying, mm-hmm. varying extents. Um, what is – I look at the, the outbreak. I mean, this is something we saw coming. I mean, it was two months ago, that three months ago now, I guess, that it was first reported at the very end of the year. So January sort of it, it, it was recognized. We had the sequencing for the virus. It's not like this is something that just happened. It was like it was de novo, you know, began in the United States. So there's plenty of time to prepare. And yet there was clearly no, like, preparation. (laughs) And there was, uh, we have been preparing locally recently over the last couple weeks. But for the most part, it feels like the federal government didn't really do anything. Um, There weren't any, there hasn't been any sort of adoption of testing. What do you think about sort of the initial response from the federal government or, and the implications of, you know, what they did or did not do.
2: Sure. You know, I mean, there seems to be some snafu. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm sort of like Lou, just a clinical doctor. I just, uh, things that I read, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm, I'm not, uh, I've never been in, in the position to be responsible for the public health of a country of 330 million people. Um, so, so I, you know, it's easy in retrospect to sort of uh, analyze uh, what has ha- what happened, and then criticized it. But it, it, it seems clear that there were some snafus um, at the level of the CDC um, early on. Um, the, the test was available in uh, early January in Germany. Um, maybe mid-January, Germany had a test that was made available to the to the WHO. Um, the CDC elected not to use that test to develop its own test. Um, and then rolled out that test uh, under relatively strict criteria, uh, meaning they only wanted, uh, because at that point it was not really scalable or it couldn't be done in in, in large quantities, Um, they only wanted to test certain people that met certain criteria, particularly travel criteria and so forth. And then the test itself, it turned out that they had developed was flawed, so it had to be recalled. Um, they wouldn't allow local uh, hospitals, local academic centers uh, in various parts of the country. Uh, that's, you know, the CDC in conjunction with the, uh, the FDA. Right. They wouldn't allow the uh, the local institutions to develop their own tests. Um, even though the, I think the technology for the test is not, as far as I understand it, is fairly straightforward. Once you have the sequence of the the virus, which had been made public, you know, back then in January... Um, it, it's you know there would have been a lot of capability throughout the country to develop tests, and so uh, they were not allowed because of uh, again sort of uh, bureaucratic reasons uh, to do so, and um, and so there have been a lot of delays um, in testing uh, throughout the country, uh, which I think it's reasonable to 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 assume that it hampered the ability of. Uh, dif- you know, different parts of the country to prepare for the, for the virus, uh, for the epidemic, or to adopt one strategy versus another, right? Because uh, yeah, you could adopt a strategy where you you test extensively and then you isolate the the cases that you uh, that you detect, uh, while the rest of the country, you know, or the rest of the state or the rest of the community, you know, keeps going reasonably normally, yes. um, as opposed to having to essentially shut down everything because, you know by a certain point you realize that the virus is really pretty widespread and 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 the testing strategy is not going to be uh, uh all that helpful so so I, I think that's that seems to be sort of a consensus uh, of what, what has what happened back in in february or january february when they were they there could have been an opportunity to uh to intervene and change the course of things uh, um, uh right
1: yeah. Well, and I feel like the, um, I, I don't want to be inflammatory, but I will in this case, <laughs> but I I, hate, I mean, I do feel like there's, um, blood on the hands of the FDA. Uh, and, and, and I'm not sure what complicity the CDC is involved in that as well, but they, they essentially prevented the adoption, the production of laboratory testing be, through their, I don't know, like ossified sort of uh, regulatory, uh, pattern. Uh, I know there are lots of people, I mean, I've had, I've been on, I know I've been in contact with at least one person who has home testing that they want to, they want to institute and they're not able to get FDA approval at this point um, mm-hmm. because it has to go through studies or whatever it, for validation reasons, because the FDA seems like it is less concerned about safety than it is about efficacy, you know, the effectiveness of, of uh, testing or medications or whatever, which just slows everything down. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy that we're, the technology we have in this country and yet we can't produce a, like you said, it's a fairly simple test. It's a PCR. um, Once you have the, the hardest part is usually getting the the genomic sequence and then just producing it, you know?
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's correct. Now, and as you said, it's sort of an ossified uh, bureaucratic mentality, which which predates i mean I, it's hard to blame the current people who work at the FDA because it's you know the mentalities are there and have sort of uh, uh, developed over over decades uh of you know centralizing the decision making process and uh and and not being ready to deal with an emergency and and so forth the other question is is it you know uh, you, you mentioned that we have you know 50 different states here yeah does it make sense to have one central agency you know regulate 50 states that have as we see now because it's much clearer now than it was a few a few a few weeks ago it's clear now that it's it's the epidemic has really very strong regional uh you know manifestations right you have new york which is you know in, in terrible shape right now unfortunately new jersey other places and then other places that are relatively uh, okay um could be a variety of explanations i mean i i don't want to analyze but it's you know why should there be one one rule one one set of you know one set of criteria one to deal with 300 million people who have uh, who deal with widely different circumstances
1: yeah i think well and i think you're now once the fda relaxed its its uh, its restrictions on the testing and you know production of testing you see an explosion of people and universities and institutions creating their own tests and and um I think you really—it's a good example. I—it's not what most people will notice, but I think it's—I think it's a really great example of when you have a market allowed uh, process where you have you know all this experimentation. You don't have the shackles of having to, to have a gigantic um, R and D budget. You have to to go through through a testing. You can just produce things and find out how they work in the marketplace pretty quickly, and you're able to respond to something, uh, to to respond to an immediate crisis, uh, nimbly and very which. You know, the FDA process, you might say, well, you know, most of the time you can develop a test, and there's no r- urgency in getting it done in six months. You can wait a year or two and um, there's not an obvious uh, morbidity and mortality that occurs because of that delay. Yet in this situation, obviously there is, right? Because you don't have, you don't have the luxury of six months to, to tr- you know, go through the 27 trials or whatever it is to verify sure. something. Sure. And, and also, I mean, I think it really goes to show that if you have one solution uh, you know, in medicine, we have this all the time, right? We don't, we always have a plan B and probably a C, D, and E, and F. We don't usually like to go to those plans if we can help it because it's usually more complicated or expensive or some other reason not to do it. But if you only have plan A and there's nothing else that you if it doesn't work, you're really in trouble. And that's sort of what the, the CDC and FDA got found themselves in by insisting on this one test, it didn't work. And then, then you have basically policymakers and everybody Operating blind, they have no idea where the virus is how ex, how extent it is right. there's no way to track it, and so you have no strategies right you could you can't adopt different yeah. things right
2: that's right it's interesting, and also you know there's um a, a, a perception uh, and, and it it turns out that it's it's probably false I mean you know a perception that you know the FDA or the cDC would be um, in general more conservative more uh, more alar- alarmist in a way you know. And and more ready to respond to to threats and whatnot, <laughs> yes. where where it seems that it's actually probably not the case, and so, you know, if there's a concern that if you decentralize, you know that that process, if there's a concern that maybe some states are going to uh, take it too easy and it's going to be a problem, well, it, it's not clear that centralizing it changes that uh, in any way, and if it changes it, you know, and if and if it turns out that actually the central, you know, the the single authority uh, actually is wrong and is more uh, Blase about about the epidemic than it should be, then we're all, you know, much worse off, right? Yeah. Whereas, oh yeah, um, no question. Uh, I, I if, think that's a
1: good that's a good point because you see that you see the fact that really the the FDA and these these regulators are more interested in their um, their algorithms, you know, their their the process than they are actually concerned about sort of what why the they're in the process.
2: Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because it's at the end of the day. It's a judgment call, right? I mean, the the seriousness of a potential pandemic. It's a judgment call because you you can rationalize it. I mean, there can be arguments that can be made one way or another. Um, uh, and it's true, even if you know, in this one, it's it's true. At today, you know, today there are disagreements about what should be done. You know, from you know, uh, from here on and so forth. It was true two weeks ago. It was true four weeks ago. It was you know even yeah. truer at the very beginning. So uh, these are decisions made under a lot of uncertainty and uh and I think when that's the case then it really that, that's the kind of situation where it really makes more sense to to decentralize and allow sort of a variety of different strategies um uh, to respond to this uncertainty because right. uh, yeah. again you know if 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 the central authority gets it wrong then, then it's a it's, it's a big disaster um, whereas if if you decentralize it, and we have states that you know uh, at least <laughs> nominally have to, you know must have some kind of uh, you know authority and sovereignty and 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 whatnot, and then they they can take the responsibility to uh, for their own people, you know, in how they respond, and and then if one state is uh, let's say was r- made the wrong assumptions, you know, and was let's say in, uh, lackadaisical, and then. It turns out that they have, you know, more trouble than maybe the, you know, it can be contained, you know, in a way, or, or, you know, other states can respond by by uh, imposing travel, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, legally, I'm not a I'm by any means a, a legal scholar or a constitutional scholar, but just conceptually, it seems to make sense that f- for these things that it's, it's we're better off decentralizing than we are just having a central authority that you know, is equally likely to be either right or wrong. I mean, it, it, there's nothing, there's no special uh, reason why a centralized authority will have uh, a better aptitude to make the right judgments on an epidemic like this.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I, I think a, a market analogy is a great one. So for one thing, I think, you know, the, like, as you mentioned, the country is gigantic. We're 330 million people. I don't know how many square acres there are in this kind country, but it's massive and there's a, there are huge regional differences and so what works in one spot may be completely wrong to work in another, Like, right? You wouldn't have high-speed rail and all kinds of uh, metro services mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. very small community that has no population density, you know. <laughs> and so there's no reason you could have a one-size-fits-all policy for something like that. So maybe you have different policies that you'd have to have anyway, and so you couldn't have a centralized uh, source making those decisions. But, but also, likewise, I mean, you know, what is, it's sort of like the question, how much is a, an ear of corn worth? well that's determined by millions of decisions by people and how, whether they need the corn for you know various industrial or you know for eating and there's no way any one person could ever know all the all the demands and the supplies in the market and so that's why sort of the market sort of all through those decisions that are made a, a price is discovered and it's constantly changing based on the various you know needs and demands right. of people right. and by the same token you could have the same you could say the same thing about this like you know someone has draconian policies they realize that three you know all the states around them don't have that and they're fine so then you ease up on your restrictions or vice versa right that you'd hope that that sort of those that sort of discovery process can occur too i mean there are obviously political implications in which makes things more challenging i know that our government governor probably shut things down a lot sooner than i thought we probably should have i mean it's all just blind luck anyway mm-hmm because of the governor in ohio which is south of us really started shutting down earlier and so put a lot of political pressure on a neighboring state to do something and Mm so um because there's always the there's always a claim and i think governor cuomo said this like you know we have to do whatever we can to save just one life well i mean (laughs) that's not really accurate because you would never because if that was really your attitude then there's lots of things you wouldn't allow (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't you know, let people Correct. drive more than 20 miles an hour. I mean, there are all kind of million things you could, you do, but, um, but anyway, I, you know, there, that's always makes it more complicated. And especially when you have no, you have no knowledge about what you're fighting, you know, what, again, because we have no testing, we have no idea sort of, it's the invisible invader, right?
2: Correct. Correct. It is. Um, at the same time, so so I think you're you're absolutely correct. But at the same time, I I think we're not. Um, it, it, it's not really so. So I personally don't want to completely leave it to the marketplace, essentially Because you know you, you could apply that that logic and just say, well, let's decentralize more and more, and then decentralize and leave it up to the households to make their own decisions. Right, and each mm-hmm. family or each person individually, and so forth. And I, I don't think that's that's correct. I really view this as sort of a communal um, uh, threat, uh, you know, uh, uh, a threat to the common good, if you will, of a, of of a country. But but here, I would say that it's um, in the example of the United States. I mean, I think it makes more sense to have those decisions sort of. Either statewide or community wide you know I mean where there's sort of a, a kind of a natural jurisdiction um, to be able to actually force people because I think you're going to have to force people to do or at least there has to be that option on the table of forcing people to to change their behavior in a way or you know one way or another yeah. and so so I think the political authority has to be to be there to respond to a pandemic like this to an epidemic. Um, but still, it has to be uh, uh, the point that I was, I was I was trying to make that uh w- there's plenty of room to decentralize without you know making it uh, a market phenomenon or making it completely uh, uh, undirected uh, to decentralize from the whole United States 330 million people down to states and maybe within states down to communities you know l- large metropolitan areas or or whatnot but probably states makes the most sense where they have at least the legal authority to do certain things, you know, um, and and uh, and and to direct resources in one way or another and and, and whatnot. So, so so that's um, that's we're seeing that happening, you know. Uh, anyways, I mean, to to some extent, but but clearly, I think up until a few weeks ago, th- there was everybody turns to the CDC or the FDA for direction. And I am, and and perhaps one lesson that we will learn from this uh, pandemic is that that's probably the wrong approach. Yeah, that that, I, I that I think people, so. you I know, uh, right. local local political, or, you know, communities are, are going to have to take uh, take things in their own hands.
1: Yeah, I think it. I mean, this almost goes more to the level of you know who do you trust, and it's very hard for people to find sources of information that they trust. You look at you know, most large institutions are not trusted by by people in this country, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's government, whether that's news, even like uh, church, the church. I mean, most large organizations are not trusted. And so source of information is really complicated as, as far as, you know, where what can be verifiable. Um, and so, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I, I do look look at it and say, well, you know, in many ways, most of the decisions were actually taken out of the hands of the, the politicians. You look at most... Um, most private ins- institutions or organizations they sort of had they stopped doing things before they were you know asked to now you could argue that they were yeah, going to be asked to true. anyway mm-hmm. but yeah. like most of this all the sports leagues they all just they shut down before there were edicts you know uh from the from the government uh i mean i think you know if you say shutting down businesses and things like that and clearly the, the government has had a hand in, in a lot of that but people were also at that point already kind of in some respects, social distancing themselves. and Right, uh, right, I, right. Now, not to the extent that they are now, where it's sort of imposed, but uh, anyway, but, I think you're right.
2: That it's, you know, it's going to be hard to know if that was sufficient or not, right? Because it's, one could make the case that the natural degree of social distancing that happened, you know, without any edict, you know, possibly could have been enough. You know, who knows?
1: Yeah, do you find uh, yourself washing your hands more now than you used to?
2: Uh, I do, yeah, but uh, but I, mean, I, uh, but I don't I'm... right. Uh, is it because of the edicts or not? I mean, all this is 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 hard to know. Uh, uh, I I think uh, you know you know you're right. I mean, b- part of it was, um, but again, I mean, it's conceivable that it it may have happened to different degrees. You know, oh, sure. with different people, and 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 certainly some people will only respond to the edict. But mm-hmm. you're you're right in the sense that. Um, it's possible that uh, just leaving it to to people's sort of own, um, uh, you know, instinct, if you will, or the market instinct, that there was at least they, clearly there was a lot of activity happening before there was any uh, intervention of the political authorities.
1: Yeah, I any, any I don't spon-
2: spontaneous activity, You're right?
1: I certainly don't. I certainly don't make the contention that had you not had closed the schools and all these other things, that people would have. Done that I mean I th- there are a lot of people who rely on and I even lump myself in that too, you know Oh, I guess this is real serious. I guess now I need to be more conscious mm-hmm, about certain mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. but I know with this pandemic. I mean, I just I- I've talked to plenty of people and there and they would, they'll say things like I didn't realize how many times to touch my face or Things like that where you don't normally pay attention to those sorts of things But you, you start to now and you start altering your behavior on you know on the margins Slightly sure um, sure uh so sure. one of the, the big things of course with all of this is the fact that there's now a huge economic shutdown of the country. You've seen in the the on Wall Street and the, the markets obviously, but more you know more presently you see it in the restaurants are closed, most lots of stores are closed businesses. Uh you know, is is this something do you think that um well how for one thing, do you think it can sustain it a long time? Do you think this is something that's wise?
2: It's it's very you know it's so hard to know and and I vacillate I mean it's what's what's amazing is in the last la, the last two weeks how much um, i vacillated between sort of one position of saying well you know the the the, uh, the measures are, are are too strong the the economic uh, impact is going to be too harsh and it's going to have its own consequences independent of the epidemic um, that may be worse versus. Saying no, well, I'm glad they took so these those harsh measures because at least you know, in my experience here in San Francisco, it seems that we, we've been spared, and I can, uh, y- you know, um, I infer uh, a causation from the early intervention, the the early the early shelter-in-place edict that was uh, that was you know put in place. Um, so so I keep going back and forth. It, it's very hard to know, and and will we ever know? Because again, the ramifications could be. For months and months and years, perhaps years to come. I mean, today I, I came across uh, uh, there was a model that says, well, you know, maybe this flattening of the curve that we talk about, where we, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, to to um, uh, to make the impact on hospitals not so acute immediately, but to sort of uh, spread it out over a few weeks so that the 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 capacity of the hospitals to take care of these patients is not overwhelmed right yeah. so this notion of flattening the curve somebody was saying well okay it's fine for the uh, sort of a short to medium term but but all it's going to do is that delay you know there'll be another epidemic you know later on who knows who knows and and it's that's that's what's so difficult cuz at the end of the day you can only um uh R- respond or make causal inferences in the short term with th- these sorts of things. Yeah, you know, for example, now when when the shelter in place in, in the Bay Area was was uh, imposed, my initial reaction was, "Hey, that's too much." You know, I mean, why, why are they overreacting? You know, at the time there were b- barely a handful of cases. Yeah, and and now I'm like, well, you know, maybe that was a good idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But let's say let's say it turns out that there will be a, a really very severe economic consequence. From this shelter in place, if it's able, right uh, will I blame them for having you know it, it's so complicated there's no alternative universe to compare it to right, <laughs> right. and there's and, no r c t uh, you can do there's no r c t there's there's no there's no way so it goes back to what you were saying earlier that at the end of the day you know the, the problem is that if if we don't trust our if the the politicians don't or the institutions you know the, don't trust us and we don't trust them. In response, then no matter what is done, it is bound to be to leave a bitter taste in people's mouths.
1: Yeah, right? I, I, no I, I think the question that that's a, it.
2: And, and so, so the problem is that we should be. We've had, I think, now several decades of of not not trusting right the institution <laughs> institutions not trusting the individuals to do what I clearly think they should be allowed to do. Right. So this overregulated world we live in. I think it's too much. I mean it, it's a it, it's a um, um it, it's clearly a sign that we, we, you know individuals are not being trusted. There's this uh, you know I, I use the term the nanny state and whatnot, you know. And, and that puts us in a situation where there there's you know a widespread lack of trust so that when decisions are made you know I, I they they we can't at the end of the day we can't you, you know we'll always will we'll gripe. We'll gripe because they're made they we start off from a basis of lack of trust,
1: yeah, and I think uh with the fact that it's sort of this paternalistic system, there is a there is a, an implied loss of responsibility in taking care of yourself and right. being res- right and and not only does that re- relate to individuals but I think also to corporations, and so it's sort of like if some if let's say you developed a test, the test was found to be not work, like say Theranos is a great example, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you have someone who bamboozled so many people that she had this test that worked, and everyone would say, "Well, thank, thank goodness the FDA was there and shut it down." But it wouldn't have taken that long for people to recognize that Theranos was not working. I mean, people were already sure. kind of suspicious about it, right? It wasn't just the FDA that sort of came up with this on its own, right? Uh, right. And um, and by having the FDA sort of that intermediary, or it could be any government agency for any sort of with any regulation, you've you've removed so in many ways removed responsibility. F- for the corporation that is performing it, unless they're working outright fraud, which was the instance of the Theranos, they say, "Well, you know, went through all the FDA regulations. As far as we knew, it was a great test, and you know, it's not our fault." It, <laughs> Correct. And
2: no, you're absolutely right, and and uh, yeah, it it promotes a misbehavior, and and uh, and what you could say here is that if if there wasn't uh, sort of such such a paternal you know if all these paternalistic institutions were not uh, and and highly centralized institutions were not in place then people would have better behavior so that in the case of a pandemic they might be more responsible as well yes right? absolutely so you, so yeah. you wouldn't have to impose you know you would just like in in south korea you know, right i mean it seems that you know people there are much more likely to to uh sort of do the right thing and isolate themselves and wear masks, right? Wear masks, yeah. and, you know, whereas here, our CDC has been, you know, now they, I don't know, they, they've actually changed their tune. But up until now, they were telling people that, you know, masks don't do anything, where, where in fact, you know, uh, it, it, it turns out that they probably uh, at least do something, you know, to limit the spread of things.
1: It, I mean, it defies logic that they would even make that assertion.
2: Yeah, uh, it sure, it sure that, does.
1: Right, I mean, it does, it, there's... Uh, there are so many things we do in medicine that I think, you know, I question in the OR, like, why are we doing this? There's, there's no way that this makes a difference, right? And yet we do, like, for instance, I'll tell you when, if you take them, if you're wearing a mask and you take the mask off your face, you're not allowed to put it back on because the, the Jaco or whatever that they say that it's <laughs> an now dirty mask and it's, you know, an infection source. Of course, now we're being told to keep a mask on for days. Right, right, <laughs> to continue, right, don't right. stop using it. Uh. Which actually makes much more sense. I mean, I understand that if you think of messaging during the outside, you could certainly wipe it down, whatever. Uh, but there are lots—but the fact that, you know, covering your face wouldn't, wouldn't prevent, you know, the spread of disease, it doesn't— I mean, any sort of—I'm uh, as a nuclear engineer as an undergraduate, and so we always talk about shielding for radiation. Well, obviously, if you have a piece of paper in front of you, it's not going to be as good a shielding as a piece of lead. But if I'm wearing a jacket, it's better shielding than a piece of paper— if I'm wearing a lead line jacket, it's much better than a regular jacket, which is much better than a piece of paper, right? I mean, right. so all those, but all those are better than nothing, right? So there's, uh, so it's just a matter of degree. I mean, obviously, a mask is not as good as being in a hazmat suit, but it's still going to provide you some sort of protection. It was obviously, I think, just a, a an, an edict set down, basically to prevent people from not allowing these limited supplies from getting to people who are in the healthcare, you know, world. Right. Um, which is right. a travesty, right? I mean, it's, uh, But I also think, I look at this sort of like I do with the TSA and with 9-11, and I think it's a, a fairly good analogy, because with 9-11, you had hijackers that took a plane with box cutters, right? I think just knives or something. Mm-hmm. They, they hijacked a plane, because all, ta- all throughout history before then, every time someone hijacked a plane, they basically took the plane somewhere else. They never used a plane as a weapon
2: right. with the
1: intention of crashing the plane. And so everyone in the plane was docile in the sense that they were like, well, you know, let them do whatever. They can take me to Cuba or whatever, and I'll f- they'll figure out some way for me to get home. Uh, but I feel like right after 9-11, there's, there would be no way ever taking a plane with box cutters. Unless you yeah. had more, you know, more people with box cutters than the, the passengers of the flight. The passengers would do everything they could to stop you. Sure. Uh, because there's a history. now, And likewise, I think you look at Southeast Asia— their response to a pandemic and to infections—I mean, they're much more—they're much more familiar with it, like with SARS and H one N one. A much bigger deal back down there, and they never really hit the shores of the United States very much. So, I think our response to it is varied that way too. Like, I would think the next time this happens, people are going to be much more serious about protecting themselves and social distancing, and the, sort of washing hands and stuff. I—I I don't think it will be the same issue. I, and I don't think it's a, a nature of them us as Americans, as much as it's an issue of experience.
2: Right, right. No, you're right. Uh, you know, bureaucracies have only a, a very limited way to respond to things. First of all, they're always, uh, they respond to the previous, right? They, they institute their measures to respond to the previous, right, to, to whatever they've just experienced. Right. Right. They're not going to be sort of anticipatory in the same way. They're always going to anticipate the, the stuff they've been exposed to before. So now the TSA thing is all about, you know, <laughs> uh box cutters and whatnot where you yeah, know if there was another off. terrorist it would completely, you know, uh, use a different way of of terrorizing a country. Um and uh and likewise and, and also they they have to, you know, they they apply very strict r- rules. I mean, they have to articulate things in, in sort of uh you know things they can put in a in a in a decree or an edict or, or a regulation, and whatnot, and and they can never um, they, these things you know can't be adjusted up and down, you know, and they they can never make the the proper uh, calculation. For example, you know one thing that struck me uh, in this, I received an email from uh, a hospital system here. You know, hospitals had been, you know, for for many years now. Um, they've meant, you know, they mandate their healthcare workers to get the flu vaccine. Right. But there may be, you know, a handful in each hospital who, for a variety of reasons, don't want to get the flu shot. And and if if that's the case, that they mandate those, you know, the, the 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 ruling was to mandate those people to wear masks all the time, right throughout the flu season, to wear a mask even if they're feeling well. They have to yeah. wear a mask, you know, 100% of the time, even, you know, regardless of what they're doing. Well, now, <laughs> with, with this 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 whole shortage, then there was one hospital center that said, no, we, we, well, we're revoking that ruling. <laughs> Under the current circumstances, the people who are not vaccinated, your healthcare workers who are not, who, don't, who have not received the flu shot, don't have to wear a mask. Well, how does that make sense? <laughs> right? right. I mean, it's it, it's really, it, it's uh, it's sort of incredible. I mean, you can understand why they would do that in terms of, of uh, mask supplies and whatnot and so forth, but at the same time, how do they judge that versus the risk of one of these healthcare workers who's unvaccinated getting the flu actually and transmitting it to to other people, uh, you know, in, in the hospital, right? So what does it say about the the, the first regulation to begin with, which was probably yeah. in a way that in my mind was probably a, you know a kind of an unnecessary regulation to to mandate. Uh, you know, a, a couple of uh, people in a hospital who don't want to take the flu shot, uh, you know, mandate them to to wear masks, as if that was going to make you know a big difference. And it's it's more of a you know, uh, ha you know we we uh, uh, you know we're, we're doing everything we can, you know, type of uh, attitude, a very strict attitude, when when in fact, and and that that goes to a lot of regulations, you know, that that are actually we we realize now are being lifted in this emergency situation. You know, and then you, really, you if they're being lifted in an emergency situation, then why do we need them in the first place?
1: Yeah, you think that's when you need them the most, in the time when you don't have yeah, time to really correct.
2: react. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So now in, in, uh, in New York, the government has lifted all kinds of regulations related to medical licensing and all that stuff, you know, wanting to get a lot of healthcare workers to be able to, uh, to help out in this, you know, and, and that's the right, uh, the right thing to do, Right but at the same time it's like well if that's if that's the case you know why why do we need licenses to begin with i mean you know in a more uh you know in a, in a situation where there's no pandemic and 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 there's more time to to deliberate and whatnot you know people will judge the 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 merit of a potential candidate you know who's going to be a doctor or who's going you know or somebody who you know who's, who's going to fill in some shoes to to provide some medical services you know uh, if we if we don't need the license in a, in an emergency situation we probably don't need it uh, even in a in the regular situation
1: yeah i and our government just yesterday i think it removed a lot of the and and i guess it's probably to be to be more clear this is not removing licensing requirements as as is, is, as it is to change the scope of practice of people who are practicing um who are caring for people at least I think that's what the case is in New York. Yeah, not, that, that may be. I, I didn't I like. Didn't, uh, yeah, look like at it. Yeah, like. So it's not right. like removing a medical license or nursing license. You still have to be licensed through the state, but you can now practice. You, your ability to do prescribed medications or to treat people without the supervision of other people has changed. Those those uh, restrictions have relaxed. And right, so right. But previously you had but, a heavy, but
2: Right. It, it, but it's the same sort of. Uh, you oh, know, yeah, the I same argument can be made, right? I mean, it's oh, a I, yeah. kind of... Uh, uh,
1: I don't disagree that reason. the argument's the same. It, I just right. wanted to be clear for people listening yeah, yeah. That, they, that they're not just having, like, you know, a guy who's a plumber come up and start taking care sure. of people. They're, yeah, right, sure. these are people who have some sort of medical training, but they are now... But, I mean,
2: even, even if they did, right, I mean, imagine, they, imagine the government said, you know, anybody can can just come and help out then clearly locally, you know, a given emergency hospital and whatnot, they will have some mechanism to, to, to check out the people who are coming. <laughs> and I can tell you for sure that it's, you know, in fact, it's probably going to be precisely the situation where you're going to have the most dedicated and competent people who will show up, right? Yeah. This is yeah, a situation yeah. where you're not going to have the quacks <laughs> coming to the front lines, you know, and putting their lives in danger. This is, you're right. And, and even if, if they did, then locally people would, would be able to sort them out.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and I've noticed this and I've talked to this about this a number of times on the show, but the, the certification process for maintain your board certification for physicians, I think it's been relaxed pretty much with every specialty at this point. They've based, I mean, at least the, at least anesthesia, I know they said basically waiving all requirements for this year. Although I imagine they still expect their check, uh, their fee, but, um, uh, and I know the pediatrics has also suspended. My wife's a pediatrician, so I know those two specifically. But I believe there are other ones that have been relaxed too. Which I guess goes again goes to the point that, well, clearly it's not important, right? If if it was so if it's so important for you to maintain the certification, whatever their process is, then it shouldn't matter what's going on. You absolutely need to do this sort of thing to be qualified to practice medicine. But clearly it's not <laughs> because right, right, they right. I mean, I think the other part too, when it comes to that, and this kind of goes into the next sort of thing I want to talk about briefly is uh, I don't, ex- I want to say, first of all, I don't expect anyone to cry over a physician, not being, you know, not getting, making any money <laughs> or, or, um, or being out of work for a little while. I don't think anyone's going to shed a single tear for that. Mm-hmm. However, it is, it is an absolute reality that most physicians don't work on the front lines in the sense they're not dealing with coronavirus in the hospitals. They're not intensivists,'re they not ER physicians. Most of them are spe- like primary care where they may have a couple of patients who have it, they send them to the hospital, but they're not directly taking care of them. And their practices are pretty much getting shuttered by these, by these laws, uh, by these, you know stay in place laws or shelter in right, place right. laws, right? I'm, I'm anesthesiologist. 80 to 90 percent of my work is elective. Which means I'm down to about ten (laughs) percent, or fifteen percent, of what I need to do. We have massive amounts of our 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 group are idle any any single day because just you know no one's coming for most of the work that we do, Mm -hmm. and um and so that's going to affect physicians, especially ones who don't have institution institutional backing, like yourself, for instance, as a direct primary care doc uh, doing cardiology. What what is your feeling? Of how it's affecting you in your practice, and maybe what do you think the implications are for other physicians? They're gonna are they gonna come out the other end of this with their practice intact, or do you think there's gonna be a lot more consolidation or bankruptcies? So, so there's a, this huge
2: concern for many for for the last few years. There's a shortage of physicians, you know, a shortage of uh, doctors. We need to you know massive subsidies for residency programs uh, to increase the number of medical schools because you know we need so many doctors and whatnot. And I was, I was always very skeptical, skeptical of that claim because that shortage of physician um, really is in, in, a, in the context of situations where healthcare spending is highly subsidized, you know, through the subsidies from the government, through, through Medicare, the Medicare program and the medical programs, but also through the subsidies of the government indirectly by the way they essentially subsidize or, you know, help out the health insurance industry. With a mm-hmm. you know payroll tax deductions, with a variety of of laws that allow health health insurance to, to you know to be around, so so there there's a a whole lot of subsidy for healthcare spending, and and my 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 feeling was that actually there probably was not, you know I couldn't prove it or anything, but I I was skeptical of this notion that there was a a an actual a true. A true shortage, meaning a true shortage, meaning true in the sense that if you remove all the subsidies and whatnot, you know what, what does the market want, need, and and you know where is it going to settle? And and I'm 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 what I see right now is that you know with this pandemic, uh, people are self-rationing, right? They're not going to the dermatologist as much, or to the or you know to the cardiologist for sort of a, an elective consultation for palpitations that mm-hmm. you know they want to come to see me just because, you know, they want to be reassured, but they actually otherwise, you know, could live with. I mean, they, right, everybody now is making his own or her own sort of risk-benefit calculation, right, before going to the doctor or before going to get a blood test or before going to get an x-ray and so forth. And many are, you know, curtailing just naturally, even without, I think, even without the shelter in place. Again, many of them would have, you know, uh, we would have seen the, the 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 usage of of healthcare services plummet, and and the lo- the more it gets extended, the more we will see whether it's, um, you know, I- is it going to be just um, a, a pent up demand that will all of a sudden surge when the the shelter in place is removed. Or will people realize that hey, listen, you know my petitions have gone. <laughs> I don't need that <laughs> consultation to the cardiologist anymore, or I don't need that routine blood test that I get every six months, or blah blah blah, right? I can just you know t- try to take care of myself, and 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 so so I think we I think we will see that, and I think we will see to to the the extent to which healthcare s- services have been you know subsidized, you know the demand is uh, is in a way artificial. And that's bad news for a lot of doctors, you know, perhaps even including me. I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, my cardiology practice, to what extent it will bounce back to to its pre-COVID-19 level. Um, but that's the reality. And if that's the case, then we will need to change what we offer so as to meet the real demand of people, right? Each time we meet the, the artificial demand, the... the Right. We, we, we're trying to, we're meeting a fantasy, a fantasy demand, not not a real demand. And to the extent that we actually meet a real demand and provide, you know, real value that is not subsidized and so forth, then we can be more secure in our profession, whether we're doctors or plumbers or bakers or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it is funny because it's hard to know. Um, what is real demand today is maybe not real demand tomorrow, right? You because you're, you're responding, as a patient, you're responding to all the different signals like, oh, I only have a small copay or I risk going and getting the plague when I go to my doctor. And so you right. you make those calculations. I know, um, there, I remember as a medical student, spending time in a family practice clinic in uh, in rural Iowa. And I felt like, at least half, if not more, the visits were people who were coming in for colds and for things that there was really nothing to do. And they, uh, I don't know if it was reassurance or they wanted a note from the a work note, you know, so they could stay out, stay home. Mm-hmm. But it never seemed like all those visits were really necessary. <laughs> yeah. And that it, things I, I thought oh, I would never come in to see the doctor for these sorts of things. Now, I had a, my dad was a doctor. And so you pretty much had to be, blo- you know, bloody or something really had to be broken <laughs> for you to go to the doctor. Um, and. Same thing. Of you talked to me, who was raised by a nurse, right? <laughs> the same thing. But uh, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's. It's hard to know what the real demand is because of all the different incentives and or or lack of uh, a lack of constraints in, first you know, spending and stuff, and that with the whole third party payer system, um, right? So, but but yeah, you're
2: absolutely right. But uh, to go back to one one element of what you were saying just uh, a moment ago is that, uh, you know, the the difficulty now is that you, you will have some. Some doctors or some healthcare workers, who are more subsidized, you know, who who will remain subsidized in the system than others, right? And that mm-hmm. will strike a lot of people as really unfair, right? That, <laughs> that because they, you know, they they they're, they have the backing of, of the, an institution or this or that that they continue to get the subsidies, whereas, you know, maybe other in more you know independent doctors in private practice and you know, somebody's an allergist or whatnot that they they see their their numbers plummet and and they feel it you know just if they had been in a different institution they would have had sort of a an artificial backing so so you may be right that there may be at least a hope towards m- more consolidation uh but you know that consolidation may not uh, you know may not materialize because you, you know maybe maybe the institutions won't be e- eager to add a lot more doctors to their payroll right if they realize that at the end of the day you know they don't need that many.
1: Well, sure. Uh, I think you're right there. Yeah. Uh, The last thing I want to kind of discuss, and this is the impossible to to know the answer, so we'll just speculate together. This, at some point, will come to an end. I think your point earlier, you are talking about the flattening the curve, and and I've talked about this in my show as well, that by flattening the curve, I mean, you essentially need to get some sort of herd immunity to this disease, whether it is through uh, actually contracting the virus and being infected and then getting over it and, and... Creating your own antibodies to that, or receiving some sort of vaccine, which gives you the mm-hmm. which gives you your body f- to form the antibodies to, to have immunity to the to the um, virus. So you have to have obviously vaccines your way probably till next year sometime when we have access to it. So we're going to be going through this round and then probably multiple other rounds, as you mentioned. Uh, by flattening the curve, you're just slowing the time it takes to get that herd immunity. Uh, it prevents the hospital systems from getting overwhelmed because probably are more limited by hospitals uh, um equipment and personnel right it just for a little bit and then and maybe that will cause you know greater harm and morbidity mortality just because there's not enough equipment to take care of people but essentially if you just slow this down over 6 to 12 months I mean you can't have the country on economic lockdown for months because it'll be cataclysmic for everyone's way of life i mean there's just no way it can possibly be done sure so how do you time, s-
2: be I'm, I'm curious to see i'm sorry go ahead oh i was well yeah. i
1: mean my question is pretty much i think we're about to answer so how do you see this unwinding because i mean i feel like you have to have until you have widespread testing you're not going to feel comfortable ever unwinding sort of where we are now and then you know what do you think see the course of i guess the next 12 months with this with you know right are we going to you know this not that bad
2: very good question and and i you know i'm I'm concerned that again the bureaucracies are going to be very um, skittish about winding it down um because you know by nature they tend to to be very uh, to have a lot of inertia you know once they have something in place then and and then they they be concerned if they if they winding da- wind it down and then you see more cases and, and uh so I don't know what's what <laughs> what I found interesting is that you know You know clearly this uh, this uh, this pandemic. uh, You know our society was polarized. You know has been polarized for a long, long time, especially in the last few years. And then the pandemic is polarizing people also, right? Uh, It seems at least it seems that way on social media that people are kind of polarized about how the the response should be and and so forth. Um, But the polarization is not necessarily um, along the, the usual fault lines.
1: Yeah, it's not so, right or so left. See yeah.
2: right. It's not right or left. I see people on both right that, who, that would have expected to, to take one position, to actually take another position. And is, I find it kind of interesting. And so to answer your question, one thing that is, I, th- I think is interesting right now is that um, uh, if um, the San Francisco mayor, London Breed, you know, by her action and the governor of California, both who are very sort of liberal, left progressive and whatnot, you know, have taken positions that now are, are recognized as being, you know, probably the the, the right uh, initiative to take. In terms of winding down, the 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 guy who has the most credibility right now is uh, uh, Dr. Gottlieb at the American Enterprise Institute, which is of a, a kind of a, a more of a free market, you know, yeah, right uh, leaning uh, think tank. And and he came out. I mean, I haven't read it, but yesterday I think they came out with a white paper. And, and he has a lot of credibility because, you know, early on in the pandemic, I think he was saying that, you know, if you go back and look at his uh, tweets from uh, from January and, and, and early February, he really saw it. He really saw what the problems were, that the hospitals were not getting, you know, the right tests and, and so forth. And so he ha- he's gained a lot of credibility during this pandemic. And now he has a paper with, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, roadmap of how we wind down the um uh, the, uh, uh, you know these uh, shelter in place um, uh, lockdowns that are you know all over the country and so it 's kind of uh, interesting and i think it'd be you know it 'd be a a nice uh, denouement if it if it turned out that uh, that we have sort of left and right coming together if if uh, if now the, the the people on the left have uh, uh, instituted these shutdowns early on you know turn to the to the american enterprise institute for uh, for advice on how to wind them down, yeah <laughs> that would be interesting. So, but but that's all I can say. I mean, I I don't know really. Uh, uh, I don't have any prediction, as you said.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I I don't think I can. I don't think anyone who says with any certainty how this is going to to go, or the severity of the disease or anything else, is can can say with any sort of certainty without having any sort of idea what the underlying uh, numbers are. You know, I we don't know the denominator. We don't know how many people have this. Maybe we're farther along in this whole thing than we think. I mean, it's you know, it's entirely possible that there are far more asymptomatic people than we anticipated and maybe we're going to be to the point where you know 25 30 percent immunity and that might be enough to prevent any massive outbreaks here going forward i but it's just without having any sort of data it's impossible to sort of make these predictions um it, it without a doubt though we will see a lot of people dunking on each other or attempting to politically uh from the parties and so i think we'll see the same polarization on the other side when this is all done you know, people criticizing Trump for his response, or the governors, or who, whomever, you know, to, to mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. the, it's impossible to prove one way or the other what would have happened had they taken a different action, right? I think, right. Um, and and I think a lot of these things that are blamed on people today are actually could be laid at the feet of generations of people who set set forth the regulations and institutions that are the ones that are maybe hampering or impeding our
2: right, know. right. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you know, for the next, uh, you know, uh, in in the future, I mean, at least my wish list would be um, less regulation overall, you know, in our day to day lives, more to to uh, to promote more trust, more trusting, you know, to be more trusting of the people so that in turn, the people can be more trusting of the institutions that are that are running the show. Right, so less regulations to give us more flexibility to respond better. So that when we need more intervention from the institutions, then we, you know, we have more trust in the people who are running those institutions because, you know, by then, if they have, if if, if we have less regulations, those institutions will actually, you know, inherently have less power, right? Right. And therefore, yeah. they'd be less political uh, in general. As a general, they'd be less political if they have less regulatory power. They'd be less political. Then, therefore, they'd be more trustworthy. Because at the end of the day, just as you said just now, I mean, you know, it's impossible to know which is the right or wrong decision. You just have somebody to make the best, you know, judgment call they can and go with it and and not, you know, spend so much time bickering about uh, what could have been done.
1: Well, my dream is that when we come, you know, again, at some point we're going to come out of this, I imagine the summer um, or near the end of the summer, we're going to start emerging from our cocoons and uh, mm-hmm. re-entering society. And the political, you know, the political process will begin up again with the presidential election i would hope and i know right now the two who are two major party candidates are not the ones who are going to do this but i would hope there be a voice of someone who say look let's look at what the the reason we had problems was not because we were unprepared as a country in the sense that the government wasn't ready for this because you can never be ready for those things but we had institutions we had processes in place which prevented us from responding adequately and, and uh, quickly enough and so we need to rethink those things." I know that's not going to be the message from anyone. Uh, most of the check marks on Twitter, uh, those docs who are in, you know, at Harvard or, um, you know, who work at the CDC or FDA, they're all going to be calling for more money, more, um, more regulatory oversight and the ability to stockpile, you know, billions of masks and all these, you know, things. Um, whereas probably having, looking at what the root cause of that would be. I mean, I hope someone's there articulating that point. That would right. be my dream. <laughs> I don't know if it's really going to happen, but.
2: Well, Well, let's hope so.
1: I really appreciate the conversation. I wish you the best of luck. If people have not had a chance to read your book called "Moving Mountains," I know if I think if they become a supporter of your show, they get a complimentary copy as well. I'd recommend anyone go to the and Cook Report, add it to your um, podcast player list. I know I do. You had a great interview recently with Russ Roberts from Econ Talk, and uh, it's been a delight. Where is a great place for people to keep track of you, Michelle?
2: Thank you. So they can follow me on on Twitter. It's um, at uh, Michel Akkad, So it's first name last name M I C H E L A C C A D, and, and uh, I think that's probably the best the best place. Or the Accad and Coca Report.com.
1: Well, thank you so much again. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks
0: for listening to the Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at TheParadox.com.